us this holiday season to just experience that sweetness of Him, just finding that place. And I want to encourage all of us, let's not lose the sense of what we experience now during worship over this holiday time. It already feels pressure like on us to meet with these people, do this with family, or do these things, or get busy with this. And I feel God saying the focus this holiday is just to spend time with Him and just find these sweet times together, and everything else will just grow dim around it as we focus on Him, and He's going to bring us through. Awesome. Luke. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to just refresh our hearts in your presence, Lord. I just want to ask, would you bless this word? Would you come, Holy Spirit, bring life through this word to our hearts in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. I wanted to start with a a, a very left-field statistic. Um, I wasn't going to start with this, but sometimes it starts with a shocking statistic just to get your, your mind and your heart thinking. Um, it was a, a survey that they did in the U.S. Um, in 1992, and the survey was to do with the American dream. You guys know what the American dream is, this idea that if you're born in the States, everybody can attain to a certain lifestyle where you're living the dream, living your best life. That's the American dream. And they did a survey to find out um, how much more money people would need to earn in order to live the American dream. How much more money they would need to earn. And they found out that uh, the people who were earning about $25,000 a year, the people in that sort of bracket, they tended to answer that they would need probably about $54,000 instead of $25,000. They would need roughly $54,000 in order to, to live the dream. But then in the same survey, the people who typically earned around $100,000, they answered that they would probably need about $192,000 in order to live the American dream. So apparently the American dream comes at different prices for different people from that survey. But if you work it out, roughly everybody answered that they'd need about double what they're currently earning. Amen, somebody said. It's a fascinating uh, trait, a, a human character trait, isn't it? In order to live my best life, I'd, I roughly on average would need about double what I currently have, regardless of how much, <laughs> of how much I currently have. Um, now, that's obviously a statistic about money. But what I felt the Lord wanted to speak into this morning is not just about money, but about contentment contentment with what God has given us. Um, and uh, I think the Lord, I'm, I don't want to preempt the Lord here, but he, I think he may have given me this word to preach because it is the season. It is the season to be comparing what I have with what other people have. It is the season to be dreaming about what things I would like to do more of next year than I did this year, what things I would like to have more of next year than I have this year, and maybe what are some of the things that I have, the dreams that I have in my heart that I've maybe had for a long time that I would like to walk in more of next year than this year. And that's not always a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to reflect on your life and to reevaluate where you are. 
And it's not a bad thing to necessarily have more of a certain thing or to do more of a certain thing. But one thing that it can be is it can prove to be a bit of a snare to us because it can work against that sense of contentment that we're supposed to have and that really is our joy and our peace. So I want to just look at a verse in Timothy, if you can put that up, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, we're going to start at verse 5, and you'll notice that verse 5 is halfway through a sentence. That is not a mistake. Um, verse, it's picking up on a, a passage in which Paul is warning Timothy about a certain kind of gospel preacher, false teachers. He's warning him about the kind of message that they preach and why it's a, a dangerous message. And it's ironically that it's actually the gospel, the prosperity gospel that they're preaching. If you thought that was unique to America or Africa or unique to our generation, it isn't. It was around that time already. And so he says, um, he got, in, the sec, in the second half, it says, who have been robbed of the truth and who think, these gospel preachers or these prosperity preachers think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. He's actually contrasting two things there. Trying to gain something from the gospel apart from Christ. And actually talking about the fact that there is great gain to be had from godliness and contentment. But it's not the things that they're preaching about. He goes on to say, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Go on. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I'd like to add a few more things to that list, but we're not allowed to add to Scripture. But ideally, I'd want a house as well. But People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so... Paul is taking issue with the message that's being taught by these false teachers. And the thing that he is most uh, aggrieved by is the fact that these men are teaching that Christianity is a means to another end. Faith and godliness is a means to another end. It's a stepping stone to something better. In other words, worldly treasures, worldly desires. And the reason why he finds that message offensive is, is, is because it's the exact opposite of the gospel, the true gospel. Because the gospel that Jesus taught, you know, the, the parable of the, of the man who found the treasure in the field. And, the, and he went and he sold everything that he had to have the treasure. And the treasure represents Jesus and the kingdom. So the reason why Paul found this message so offensive 
was because it's not only a different kind of gospel or a slight variation. It's the complete opposite of the true gospel, which is that Jesus himself is the treasure. So the lie is, and, and this lie is not just for them, it's also for us. The lie is that the more blessings that God gives us to enjoy in this life, the more happy and contented we will be. The truth is that the more we pursue Christ and holiness, the more happy and contented we will be. So the real question is, what is true riches? What does it mean to be truly wealthy from God's perspective? So what I want to do is give you three reasons why we should find our contentment in Christ. Three reasons why we should find our contentment in Christ. I don't know everyone here and, and whether you have already come to Christ or not, but for many of us, the reason why we actually came to Christ in the first place was because we found that life was really empty and unfulfilling in everything else that we had sought. That was definitely the case for me. When I came to Christ, I was actually early on in my life, and I was actually meditating on what, did I, what I wanted to do with my life. What career did I want to pursue? It was before I had studied. And the more I thought about it, the more discouraged I got and the more uh, depressed I got, because I couldn't actually think of a career worth pursuing that would give me fulfillment that I really needed. And I actually sunk into a very deep depression just thinking about it, because I was thinking apart from Christ. And so for many of us, the reason why we came to Christ in the first place was because the things of this world didn't satisfy and left us empty. And so the first reason to find contentment in Christ is because it's only in Christ that we actually find life and joy and peace and the things that our hearts crave. I want to pick up on a little phrase in that passage when it says that by craving it, by craving money, it says, some have wandered away from the faith. It's an interesting word, craving. And I want to pick up on the analogy of, if you have to extend that out further, cravings are often associated with addicts, right? Addicts have cravings. And there's an interesting analogy about loving the things of this world apart from Christ and addicts. I'm not just talking about drug addicts. There's lots of different kind of addictions. You can be addicted to work, workaholic can be addicted to um, relationships, go from one train wreck of a relationship to the next. You can be addicted to... So almost anything that's good, you can be addicted to. Um, but what's ironic about addictions is that the very thing that you love, the very thing you're trying to find your, lo- your life and your enjoyment and your satisfaction in, the very thing you love is the thing that's killing you. Isn't that interesting about addictions? Addictions also associated with an insatiable craving for more. You can't get enough of the thing that you're addicted to because it doesn't satisfy you as much as you were hoping it would. And every time you indulge in it, you get less out of it than you were hoping for and you're left disappointed. The other thing that's interesting about addictions is everybody else knows that there's something very disturbingly wrong with your life except for you. (laughs) <laughs> you think you're normal. Everyone else realizes there's a serious problem. That's one of the most obvious things about addictions. And so Jesus is pointing us to the fact that contentment in Christ himself and not in an insatiable desire 
for finding more in other things is actually a healthy way to live. It's actually a, a satisfying way to live. And when we have Christ, um, we can actually even be poor in, in worldly things, but still satisfied and filled with joy. We can have rejoicing in, in suffering. One of the things I felt the Lord drop in my heart for us, and this is, the danger is that you think that this message is just about money. It's, it, it's, it's, it's not just about money. For, for all of us, we have our own things that we're looking for in, in life and not fully satisfied in. The, the danger is that entitlement is the enemy of contentment. And by entitlement, I mean, what is the one thing in your life that you feel like, because I don't yet have that thing, I can't have peace. I can't have joy. What's the one thing, or maybe more than one thing, that's a source of frustration to you and even a source of bitterness towards the Lord because I can't be happy because there's this thing. For some of us, it might be money. For many of us, it might be something else. Um, it, could be, it could even be related to our calling, that we feel like we should be walking in more in the Lord than we are right now, even spiritual good things can be that one thing that keeps us from contentment. And I feel like the Lord wants us to walk in a deeper level of contentment and peace in Him, in trusting, in trusting Him. And so I'm asking that not as a rhetorical question, but I'd love for you to even reflect on, the, on that this morning. Is there even one thing that's a source of frustration to you right now, and, and it's like, I would be at peace except for fill in the blank. I feel like the Lord wants to deal with that thing this morning. Because it's an enemy of contentment for you. The Bible says that godliness with contentment, godliness with contentment is the goal. I, am, I haven't lived a very, very long life compared to others. But one thing I have noticed as I reflected on my life is I've experienced a lot of different phases in life. A lot of different scenarios. For example... I've had times in my life where, I did, where money was very scarce, where it felt like even for, as a family going out to get ice creams was something we needed to pray about and seriously get wisdom on before we go. Have, you ever, have anyone ever been there like, where it's like all your friends are going for ice creams and you're like, maybe next week? I'm expecting my money to come in next week. Um, and, I've, and I've had other times when money really wasn't an issue. Money was the least of my worries, which is nice. In some ways, I've experienced some of the frustrations associated with being single, and I've experienced some of the frustrations associated with being married. <laughs> You're going to pay for that one later, George. You're going to pay for that one later. But it is true. I've, uh, I've experienced being in a church, and no one knows who I am. I've, I've been there, and I've experienced going into other congregations, and everybody seems to know who I am even before I introduce myself, for various reasons. COVID and my televangelism online uh, was very helpful in spreading my, um, my reputation, for good and for bad. I've experienced, I've experienced both. I've experienced times in my life when I felt like my giftings, my spiritual giftings, were very, very underutilized, like to the point of... Is there even a point for me to have this gifting? 
And I've experienced other times when I feel like I'm being used too much in my gifts and can everybody just give me a break. Same goes for calling. There have been times when I've felt like I've, I'm walking in almost zero of my calling. And there have been other times where I feel like, is there anything else that God could possibly use me in? I've pretty much done everything I felt called to. I've experienced both. But one thing I can say is that none of those things either added to or took away from my sense of contentment in the Lord. It, it doesn't add or take away from my sense of contentment in the Lord. None of those things, being with money or without, in my calling or not, in my gifting or not, known or unknown. And Paul says something similar in a passage in Scripture, and he says, I consider it all rubbish in the light of the treasure that Christ is, to know Him, to know Christ, and, and the power of His resurrection to have fellowship with the Lord. The one thing that definitely does affect my sense of peace and contentment in the Lord is how's my friendship with God going? Do I feel like I'm walking with Him, in friendship with Him, in intimacy with Him? Do I still desire Him? Do I still know His desire for me? That does affect whatever season of life. And the reason why I mention all of those things is because you may not have had the benefit of going through all those different seasons. You may still be having a false hope that when I move on to that season, or that when this gets fulfilled, or when that gets fulfilled, or when I'm walking in this or walking in that, then I'll be content. It's a lie. It's a ladder, and you'll get to the end of that ladder, and there'll be nothing there waiting for you. It's only godliness with contentment in Christ, a satisfaction in Jesus, contentment in Christ himself, Enjoying relationship with Him. That's where contentment and peace is found. Amen? The second thing I would say is that godliness itself is true wealth. Godliness in itself is a goal. It's treasure. Let me give you a few funny scriptures or one passage that's incredibly entertaining which illustrates this fact, this fact very colorfully in Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 22, I thought of putting an image up here just to help with the analogy. How's this one? Like a gold ring in a pig's snout. There's an image. We need an image of that. I should have gotten an image, shouldn't I? Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. <laughs> it's essentially a, a beautiful woman that's not godly. It's funny, but it's true, isn't it? Uh, just for example, that you meet a beautiful woman and then she drops an F-bomb in the second, con second line of sentence and you suddenly realize, wow, that's different. Uh, it it kind of takes away from, it's, like, it's, it's literally like a, a ring, a beautiful golden ring in a pig's mouth. That's because there's something beautiful about godliness. And that's not just in women. It's talking about women there. But it's true of men too, isn't it? There's something actually really beautiful about godliness. It's one of the reasons, not the only reason, that women tend to fall in love with worship leaders. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. Because there is something attractive about godliness, about somebody who loves the Lord and has their eyes set on Jesus. It goes on to say, um, the desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. One man gives freely, 
but gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. That's an interesting phrase. One person is very generous and ends up getting more. The other person's stingy and ends up coming to poverty. It goes on to say, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? <coughs> People curse the man who hoards grain, but blessing comes, crowns him who is willing to sell. Essentially, what it's saying here is that beauty is ugly without godliness. And wealth, we actually pity the wealthy person who is so preoccupied with holding on to their money that it actually makes them miserable. Don't we? If you, if you see a rich person and all they're ever worried about is losing their money, you actually feel sorry for them. More money, more problems. That's not in the Bible, but it's true. <laughs> but isn't it true? I mean, that's where Ebenezer Scrooge comes from, to borrow a Christmas uh, story. We pity the person who's not generous, whose money has actually made them ungenerous because they're so worried about losing it. The point here is that godliness itself is treasure. That's the point. A person who is rich in love, rich in faith, rich in mercy, is a person that is truly wealthy. That's what the Bible says. Whether or not they've got money. And we, I think we, we all know that's true. Even if you're not a Christian, people know that that's true. But living in a place of contentment, living in a place of true wealth, is hard. And so, the third reason and the last reason I'm going to give you why I would encourage you to find contentment in Christ rather than contentment in the things of this world is because of eternity. In this passage it says, and I think they might quote this at, at funerals sometimes, I'm not sure. It says, we brought nothing into the world so we can carry nothing out of it. From dust to dust. That's what they say, hey? It says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession. When we got saved, we got saved into the truth that our hope is not in this life. It's in the, the coming of Christ. But it's easy to forget that. We got saved into the truth that this world as we know it is passing away. And we'll take nothing out of it. But we mustn't forget that. It's easy to forget that. We will take nothing out of this life. We brought nothing into it. We'll take nothing out of it. We got saved into the truth that we don't store up treasures on earth. We store up treasures in heaven. Because Jesus said, and this is especially true in South Africa, although it's true in other nations as well, rust erodes, moths eat, and thieves break in and steal. True? We know that's true from Scripture, but we've got other sources to verify that that is in fact 100% true. And so, we are taught to find contentment in Christ because the things of this world are not trustworthy. And wasn't it interesting, and I hope we never forget it, that during COVID, when everything got shaken, it really did have a test on where my trust is and what my hope is in. And we had a serious moment for reflection of, do I actually trust 
in Christ and his salvation in eternity? Is that really where my hope is, or is it in the things of this life? And it was amazing to see people going through trials. I saw some of our people, even in this congregation, losing whole businesses, all their investments, laying off employees, and yet having hope and an unshakable courage because our salvation is actually not in this world, it's in the next. And there's something that I believe that's really important about this that undermines self-pity. And here's what it is. Satan will consistently remind you of all the things you don't yet have. And he'll, he'll make you to want to feel sorry for yourself. Here is a tip. When he does that, he will. When he reminds you of all the things you don't have, have remind him that you have been given the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a down payment. Do you know what a down payment is? When somebody buys something from you, they give a down payment in cash to guarantee that the rest is coming. The Bible says the Holy Spirit himself is a down payment. Do you know what he's a down payment of? The Bible says we are going to inherit, finish the sentence, can anyone? The whole earth. We are going to inherit the whole of planet earth. Did you know that? What does that even mean? Well, it means when Jesus comes back, it says he's going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to vanquish all evil and all those who do evil. He's going to remove evil from the earth. And he's going to reward all those who have been patiently waiting for him. Who have been patiently serving him and loving him and keeping themselves pure for him. And then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And the picture is earth, this earth, restored to the state of Eden, but more glorious. And then Jesus himself is going to live on this earth, a renewed earth. Jesus is going to inherit the earth. It's his inheritance. It's what God has given to him. And he has chosen for some reason to share it with us. And so we are going to inherit the whole world the whole earth, the whole of planet earth, including Africa, North America, South America. I'm not going to go through all the continents because you get the point, right? That is going to be our inheritance. So here's my encouragement to you. When Satan, and he will, reminds you of all the things you don't have and makes you to want to feel sorry for yourself, remind him. Yes, I'm poor for now, but... I have been given a down payment for my inheritance, and that's the whole of planet Earth. And that's a sure thing. That's as sure as Jesus coming back again. And so my point is that our hope is not in this life. It's when Christ returns. And whether we look rich or we look poor or we look fulfilled or we look unfulfilled or whether we look wealthy, whatever the case may look be, our hope is actually in Christ, and so our contentment is found in Jesus Himself. He is our reward. He is everything we could ever hope for or need. And that is the reason why we can be content. It's not a fluffy uh, platitude. It's a sure hope. It's a certain hope. He's our living, our living hope. And so I want to say to you this morning: guard your heart against a sense of entitlement. Entitlement is the enemy. It's an enemy of contentment. 
and especially in this season, it's easy to fall prey to comparison. Compare what I have with what other people have. Compare what I'm walking in with what other people are walking in. And, and to consider and, and meditate on all the things I don't yet have. And that's an enemy of Satan, and it robs us of joy. It robs us of peace. It robs us of contentment. Instead, pursue godliness. Pursue Jesus. Don't allow impatience with God to pierce your soul with sorrows, because that's what it will do. As soon as we grow impatient with God, because He's not giving us the things we're hoping for or longing for, it actually pierces our soul with sorrows. And that's often when sin comes knocking, when we're feeling impatient, when you're feeling frustrated with the Lord. Be patient. Wait for the things that God has for you and be satisfied in Him. And what you'll find is as you do that, you actually appreciate and enjoy the things He has already given you so much more. It's a sleight of hand that Satan has to get you concentrating on all the things you don't have and you don't appreciate the, the treasures and the joy that he's already given you. And that's, that's actually tragic because most of us have so much to actually thank the Lord for. We've been given precious treasures. If you can't think of anything else, here's two things you can be grateful for. Jesus himself. Just meditate a little bit on what life was like before you had Christ. That sobers up a person very quickly. The other thing we have is each other. Just when you were praying this morning, I was reminded of the treasure that we have. God adds the lonely into family. And we have this family. We are loved and cherished in this family. We belong to something, to someone, to this group of people. And that's actually a treasure. Hey? That's really not something to be sneezed at. It's something that most people in this world actually long for. Is a family to belong to where they're valued and loved, believed in, trusted in. So we thank the Lord for that. Amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can be content in you, in the relationship that we have with you, in the inheritance that we have in you, Lord Jesus. And I want to pray, Lord, would you guard our hearts against comparison? Would you guard our hearts against a sense of entitlement which makes us to miss the joy and the treasures that you've given us? May we treasure and celebrate and be so thankful for the gifts that you've given, starting with yourself, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I want to encourage you this morning. I've spoken in the, with the assumption that you already have Christ, but maybe you don't. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you, if you still need to receive Jesus as your Lord, if you still need to make Him your Lord and your Savior, to trust in Him to be your Lord and your Savior, I want to encourage you and invite you this morning. The invitation is the message of the gospel. The gospel means good news. The good news is that God has given us a way to be saved saved from our sins, saved from judgment, and to be brought, reconciled, find peace with God himself. There's nothing quite like having peace with God. He's our maker. He's our creator. He's our father in heaven. And so if you're here this morning and you've not yet made peace with God through Jesus, his son, I would love to pray with you. I don't know if there is anyone like that. 